0: Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is 1 Timothy, chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 8, and we will be going to chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands, without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve and adam was not the one deceived it was the woman who was deceived and because and became a sinner but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith love and holiness with propriety here is a trustworthy saying whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task for the overseer is to be above reproach faithful to his wife temperate self-controlled respectable hospitable and fall under the same judgment as the, de- as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, church family. I am sorry I can't be there this morning. I'm really under the weather, and... Uh, you know this is not my attempt to dodge a difficult topic um, but let's just go ahead and dive in and hopefully you'll have a good conversation today all right so we're looking at first Timothy 2 8 through 3 7 and bless you Barry for reading that text (laughs) this is one of those texts that we're just going to struggle with Um, and I think many people are going to struggle with it whether they come down as complementarian egalitarian or even hybrid uh, and you know while we like to have everything figured out everything in our boxes i think sometimes this tension provides us with an opportunity for grace uh, and for humility uh, and then we can just say you know what there's some things we don't understand fully uh and we're going to rely on god for that so let's jump into the different positions. I have this slideshow I'm going through, and this is my sermon notes. Sorry that I'm so small today. Maybe that's better. Less than me, more of a message, right? So we have complementarianism. So I took Andy's chart and I, I made it 2.0. <laughs> I updated it. Um, here's the first position, complementarianism. Got, uh, the, we believe men and women are of equal dignity and worth. This position believes that. And then roles in the church is that men and women have distinct roles. So men lead, serve as elders, preach, uh, depending on the church. Um, And then in the home also, there's distinct roles, right? And you can see the different texts there. First Timothy 2, which you just read, Ephesians 5. Um, And then creation, we go all the way back. It believes that there are gender distinctions. Uh, Gender distinctions are a result of creation and Christ's redemption as a return to those distinctions. So... It's not like we were the same uh, before the fall and gender roles are not just a result of the fall. Next position is egalitarianism. Uh, Believe men and women are of equal dignity and worth. Uh, Believe men and women have interchangeable roles in the church, right? So the first line about the value of men and women is the same, but how that's expressed in the church is different. Interchangeable roles, and they're going to go to Galatians 328, which we're going to go to Lord willing next week. Uh, And then it would also say that there are different um, roles in the home or uh, uh, interchangeable roles in the home. Men and women's roles are interchangeable and that gender distinctions are a result of that Genesis three fall. Right. That uh, man will husband, your husband will rule over you. And uh, and so. And we would agree that relationships are broken and uh, and yet there seems to be distinction, right? So which of these is true? Well, there's also a third position, hybrid position, which this might be brand new to some of you. Um, I learned it from Gordon Hugenberger at Park Street Church. When he served down there, he preached a five-part sermon series on it that you can check out if you'd like. I've linked to it on our resource page for women in ministry. It believes that men and women are equal dignity and worth. So I think that's important to point that out across all three positions. Uh, It believes that men and women have interchangeable roles in the church, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. And uh, it uses that text to help interpret 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 3, 7. We're going to go back to that in two weeks. Uh, But it believes men's men and women's uh, roles are distinct in the home. In fact, I should probably rephrase that to say, husband and wives' roles are distinct in the home um and then uh creation believes marital distinctions are a result of creation and Christ's redemption removes distinctions in the church body so that like you know uh there are different spheres and um submission in one does not mean submission in another one so we're going to come back to that in two weeks Uh, it should be good all right first i want to say before we go too much further that uh you know it's so quick to jump to the text to say what we believe, uh, and then to use what we believe to clobber each other over the head. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't be laughing. That's sort of the mood I'm in right now, I guess. Uh, But, you know, what I've noticed from reading Scripture is that Jesus often cares about not only what we believe, but how we believe it, right? Our posture matters as much as our doctrine, you know? Now, our posture without doctrine is You know, heresy, false. And I would also argue that doctrine without posture is also false, right? You can have bunches of wisdom, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. Um, So, um, but that doesn't mean that this isn't an important issue. Uh, I do think this is an important issue, but it's a second-tier issue, all right? So that means it's not a primary doctrine of the church, not equal with what we believe about the Trinity, about Jesus, about salvation, about sin. Those doctrines are primary doctrines that, you know, if you do start to question those, I'm going to have to say, you know, this is where the Bible seems to be very clear. And I would say that our our salvation becomes at stake if we stop believing in Jesus, if we stop believing in the Trinity, if we stop believing in salvation from sin through the cross. Um, So... I wanna say that this is not a primary tier, a first tier issue, but it's also not as frivolous as like your favorite ice cream, right? Like that's like third tier, fourth tier, right? This is still like an issue that matters, Uh, but I wanna, because we recognize it's a second tier, that means good godly Christians can disagree about this issue, right? And I know many pastors, many Christians, many Bible-loving, Bible-believing Christians who disagree about this issue. And so let's open up space for grace and humility and let's extend grace to one another. I, I like that. Andy talks about like, you know, I'm 70% sure of my position. Well, that's a, I think a humble way of saying, I don't have all the answers. That's okay. And when we start to claim that we have all the answers, I think that knowledge puffs up now, it doesn't mean we can't hold our positions with hope. Uh, and with confidence uh, and with faith, but let's also hold them with grace and humility. Now, we're going to look at complementarianism today. It's this idea of male only teaching and leading in the local church. Uh, and there's a couple things that I want us to understand about it. We've sort of done a, a brief introduction already. The first thing is that, like, this really, um, this position, I would argue, almost always comes back to First Timothy two, right? Now, I'm I, I'm sure there are complementarians who would say, well, there are other passages that I base my doctrine on primarily, but I think this is probably the clearest text in the New Testament that complementarians go to to say, you know what, we believe men and women are made in equal dignity and worth, but that you know Paul says. That women need to be silent and uh, not hold authority over men and so this is why we only have male elders or pastors or ordained ministers why we only allow for male preaching and there's a spectrum there right some churches are gonna allow women to preach and have male elders or a male senior pastor female elders uh, some churches are going to go all the way and allow everything, and then they're no longer complementarian, right? Um, but I want to show where this comes from in the text in First Timothy two eight through fourteen. I didn't really say fifteen because fifteen is a pretty challenging verse. <laughs> Everyone struggles with that verse, um, you know. Uh, but let's let's dive in. So, so in the first couple of verses, we see Paul is explaining how men and women should behave in the church. Verses eight through ten. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So apparently there's fighting in this church community. There's disorganization. There's chaos. uh, And Paul is trying to address these things. Apparently there's some sort of... um, you know, inappropriate dress or culturally immodest dress that's happening, Uh, and so Paul uh, is explaining how men and women should behave in the church to bring order to that chaos. Verses 11 through 12, Paul exerts his apostolic authority to permanently prohibit women from teaching, preaching, or holding the office of elder pastor in the local church, verses 11 through 12. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. (laughs) All right. So when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach, he is exerting apostolic authority. So it's not a temporary cultural specific thing. It's a long lasting permanent prohibition on women. Uh, Now, That means it still applies to today. Number three, Paul roots his argument in the creation order prior to the fall. So complementarians would say, well, how do we know this is long lasting? Well, if you look at the next verse, it says, and Adam was the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner in verse 15, but women shall be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety, right? So. Paul is essentially going back to Genesis 1 or Genesis chapter 2 before the fall. And so this is just kind of the crux of the argument. Uh, I think there are several strengths to this position. It's easy to understand. uh, and It makes sense of the text. (laughs) This is probably its strongest strength. Uh, It seems to fit the puzzle that is Scripture, or at least this Scripture passage be it prioritizes the plain reading of scripture and obeys it, despite cultural pressures. So, you know, I've watched a number of complementarian videos leading up to this message. And, um, you know, one of their things that they keep going back to is just to say, you know, we know that this is countercultural, and yet we're willing to hold to it because we believe the Bible says it. I really respect that. Um, You know one of the critiques so a gospel coalition right um that's centered around the gospel plus this issue uh complementarianism uh one of their critiques of egalitarianism is that it loosens people's hold on scripture uh and and i've heard many people say like well if we let women preach and lead in the church Aren't we going to use that same interpretive grid to apply to same-sex relationships in the church? In other words, aren't we going to start affirming uh, LGBTQ marriage and relationships and say, well, the Bible approves of that? But I would argue that the Bible is very consistent on LGBTQ relationships. Genesis 1, God made the male and female in that theme of intimate relationships, one flesh union between a husband and a wife, runs all the way through scripture. Uh, I think it's a consistent e- ethic. But if you look at this issue, women in ministry, I don't think it's quite so clear. Uh, and I think we've seen that between the five messages we've already had leading up to this passage. And as Andy talked about the women in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we looked at at several new testament examples a little bit more in depth between monica and myself Uh, and so uh i think maybe a better comparison is the issue of slavery right now that's an issue that the bible seems to permit but does it affirm it does it lay the groundwork to redeem it i think it does uh and so i have some questions of complementarianism and i'm gonna be honest i'm gonna probably have the most challenging questions of this position. Okay. Uh, and it's simply because, um, you know, I feel like it's the most popular among the evangelical world. If you've ever seen Star Wars, it's like uh, Obi-Wan saying, I have the the high ground, Annie, I have the high ground, right? Like <laughs> the complementary camp sort of comes across that way. And I didn't mean that as no, like disrespectful. It's just me trying to have some humor and I'm not feeling well. So if it didn't land, you can put on that. All right. So questions, does it fully address the other examples of women, teachers, and leaders in scripture? So I'm thinking of Deborah, right? De- uh, Judges chapter four and five. You know, I've, I've heard people, pastors say that Deborah is an anomaly, right? That like, she's not a pattern, just because we have one example of women, a woman preaching and teaching in a God ordained role doesn't make it okay for other women to preach and teach uh, in a God ordained role. (laughs) And I think that's disrespectful to scripture. That's what I'm going to say. I think that's disrespectful to Deborah. Um, You know, there were other, she, she was married. And there's no hint in the scripture that she was being unsubmissive to her husband to fill that role of female prophet and judge. Another prophet, I don't think Andy mentioned her, is the prophet Holda. (coughs) Isaiah had a wife who was a prophet, by the way. Uh, But the prophet Holda is a female prophet that King Josiah consulted for a word from the Lord. When male prophets were available, and she interpreted scripture. She told him a word from the Lord. The other, Zephaniah was available, Habakkuk, Nahum, and Jeremiah. You can look at 2 Chronicles chapter 34 uh, for uh, the interaction with Holda. How about this? Uh, Question number two. Does it acknowledge that job descriptions at that time were androcentric, male-focused, even when the jobs weren't? So I'm addressing a little bit of First Timothy chapter three here, verses one through seven, right where uh, we find in verse two, uh, "Now the overseer is to be above reproach faithful to his wife, right to one wife. Um, there's uh, many people who say, well, only men have wives, right uh, for holding to a biblical understanding of uh, marriage. And so you have to be a wife, uh, a man to, to serve as an elder. Uh, but all job descriptions at this time, as far as I'm aware, were androcentric, androcentric, male focused. <laughs> I mean, we can look at the job description of deacons. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Yeah. We at Cornerstone and, uh, Terry Isles has written a, a paper on why deacons can be women. In fact, a very committed complementarian, Dr. Tom Schreiner, says that Phoebe is a deacon. Right? That word is used of her. Uh, and I would also point us back to the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 12, verse 6 says this. So this is a job description for prophets. And he and he said, "Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him." in a vision i speak with him in a dream right this is male focused but if we can find female prophets that means that a male centered job description does not require a uh only to be feel filled by men and we do with holda that we just talked about she was a prophet uh and miriam a woman that we already talked about then miriam the prophet Aaron's sister took a t- uh timbrel, timbrel, timbrel uh, an instrument in her hand and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing right so she prophesied she helped lead with Moses and Aaron i wouldn't say that she's at the same level as Moses and Aaron for sure uh, but she helped lead um, so i think husband of one wife uh, and that's really what it is in the greek uh, is more about faithfulness that oneness that uh, which makes sense going back to genesis right Uh, They should be one flesh, right? So you can't, you know, um, be uh, someone who is unfaithful to your spouse. All right, question number three, uh, does it fully address the possibility that Paul's prohibition might be contextual? Uh, Paul's prohibition might be limited to a specific time and place, and we'll see that next week, that, like, that's the crux of to me, that's the crux of the egalitarian argument uh, is that Paul's prohibition is limited to a time and space. And I think it's fair to ask this because Paul seems to put forth other prohibitions that are limited to a time and space in a very similar manner. So I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and this is why in the email I sent out, hey, why don't you all read this passage just so you're aware of it? It says this, verses four through five, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved." Right? So one of the reasons I (laughs) grew up taking off my hat uh, when I prayed, is because I thought it would be dishonoring to God into scripture and my parents teaching. And so I wanted to be honoring to God. I still take off my hat because that's just drilled so deeply into me. Is that biblical? Is that contextual? Is that cultural? To me, it seems more cultural than anything. Um, Now, one of the reasons I feel comfortable comparing this passage to 1 Timothy chapter 2 is because Paul roots this mandate in the creation order just like he does in first timothy 2. so let's look at the next verses here seven through ten a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of god that's genesis one language image of god but woman is the glory of man for man did not come from woman but woman from man genesis 2 neither was man created creation for women, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Okay. So to me, a plain and simple interpretation of this passage is that women need to cover their heads because of Genesis 1, Genesis 2. This seems to be a pre-fall mandate. I respect many complementarian churches where the women also wear hats to church uh, because they're being consistent. Uh, I think that uh, we need to take a step back and notice that Paul is not only rooting this mandate in, uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, but also in the angels, right? So the 1 Timothy 2 mandate, that's only... only in adam and eve (laughs) right but the first corinthians 11 mandate is adam and eve plus the angels so we should be taking this mandate even more seriously however what if uh there's a principle behind this passage what if there's a truth that scripture wants us to know about orderliness and worship about humility about um uh respect about roles between husbands and wives. Uh, Maybe tying into Ephesians chapter five. Husbands, love your wives, wives, respect your husbands. And maybe, maybe there's a similar uh, truth or principle in 1 Timothy chapter two, that if we go straight to the plain reading and don't spend some time working on the context looking at the scripture as a whole, uh, trying to compare like passages that we're going to miss. And so uh, I just want us to be mindful of this, right? Uh, Let's be consistent. Let's be consistent. Uh, Now, I did want to kind of end with a gospel conclusion. I I listened to a a sermon recently by a complementarian where he connected 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 to... Genesis so but women will be saved through childbearing they continue in faith love and holiness with propriety now I would note that like we don't take that at the same level of uh you know plain reading you know everyone every woman has to have a child in order to be saved right okay um that's not where we have to go with that text uh it's a really difficult text um I think maybe it hints that this passage is about husbands and wives, because childbirth in church is really weird. Uh, anyways, uh, but I did listen to a complementarian sermon recently that talked about the gospel and how they thought this connected to uh, to Adam and Eve and to the promise that one day the the seed of Eve, Eve would come and crush the serpent, right? Um, that the child... Uh, that we are saved through the childbearing of one woman. And now we continue in faith, love, and holiness. And so I think that's a good gospel conclusion. That's a way to end in grace To say, you know what? At the end of the day, we're not going to have this figured out. We're going to keep studying it for the next couple of weeks. we to talk about it today. Let's have our conversation be full of grace and kindness towards each other. Uh, And let's remember the one who came and crushed the serpent for us, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's in His name. Uh, I commit this morning to him, to, to to God. <laughs> All right, I'm done. God bless.